welcome to Streaming Into the Void, where we discuss all the streaming news for the week ending July 23rd, 2022. This week, Netflix is shrinking like soap in the shower. I'm Kim Hollis, no longer part of the WWE organization. Just thinking as a self-respecting woman, being out of the WWE sounds like a good idea. (laughs) You know what? Good point. With me are Tim Brighty, writer and gamer, wishing someone the best in their future endeavors. He's fired. (laughs) Also, David Mumpower, published author and media analyst who is out of here if Kim is out of here. You're going to need someone else to headline SummerSlam, damn it. (laughs) (laughs) And the podcast is produced and edited by Raul Burial, who is celebrating season three of the podcast. I'm just proud to have as many seasons under our belt as such highly regarded shows as Manifest. Season three. <laughs> oh, we're not on Netflix, are we? Wait a minute. I know. This is if yeah, this this is it for us because you know, you know how Netflix is. In our deep dive this week, Netflix lost subscribers yet made Wall Street happy. In their second quarter earnings report, Netflix reported that they had lost only nine hundred and seventy thousand subscribers, less than half the two million they had projected. But the future is a mixed bag. Because the stock market makes no sense. <laughs> None. None. It is so hilariously up its own butt. All you have to do is just say things are going to be awful. And then just when things are not quite as awful, everyone's happy. (laughs) There were so many Hollywood executives who were just going to jump straight out of their buildings if they had not actually had Netflix come back with good numbers. So, Raul, I think we have averted catastrophe, right? Oh, yeah. No, we can't downplay how good this news is for Netflix. This wasn't a rounding error. They beat their subscriber estimates by a huge margin. Plus, they can expect that their Q3 numbers will be strong on the backs of the new season of Stranger Things. And as we're going to see in a moment, Umbrella Academy as well. Plus, they've got their new ad-supported tier in the works in that partnership with Microsoft. But at the same time, we can't underestimate the impact other streamers are having on Netflix. One report recently indicated that Netflix's library of TV and films has dwindled from 11,000 titles in 2015 to around 6,000 today. That is a cut of nearly half. Netflix is, more and more, depending on their own original content as streamers bring home their own content, like Criminal Minds jumping to Paramount Plus at the end of this month. Other massively popular titles on Netflix are slated to have their licenses expire in the coming years, including New Girl, Community, and NCIS. That's not to say that all these shows will jump ship, but if Netflix wants to keep them, they're going to become more and more expensive to license. And if they don't keep these shows, Netflix risks losing those subscribers to the streaming services that do inherit those shows. Paramount Plus is top of that list. Already, Criminal Minds is going back to the company that produced it, Paramount, and their streaming service, Paramount Plus, NCIS, and all the NCIS titles, all of those could end up on Paramount Plus in the next three or four years. And imagine if all those viewers migrate from Netflix to Paramount Plus. Suddenly, Paramount Plus is a powerhouse and Netflix looks like the 100-pound weakling here. 
So I don't think we're going to see, you know, the kind of losses here that maybe you're fearing, at least in the specific instance of NCIS, because Paramount Plus made the the odd but apparently savvy decision to go ahead and air its shows on Paramount Plus, even though they're also licensed to Netflix. And it obviously, it's not affecting the streaming ratings because we can see that with Nielsen. But, you know, I can pull up NCIS or NCIS Hawaii right now on Paramount Plus. It is a larger point, though. We're talking about they've lost five elevenths of their titles in seven years. And that goes to show you that at the start, Netflix cornered the market. And now we've got places that have either gotten smarter or greedier or some combination of the two. To flip this on its head for a moment, let's acknowledge, of course, that of the 6,000 titles that are on Netflix today, not all of them are Netflix originals, but a massive, massive portion of them are. And you have to realize that a company that went from having no original content just a few years ago to having as many original titles as they do now in under a decade, that is a masterful achievement. What Reed Hastings and Ted Sarandos have done at Netflix is nothing short of miraculous, and they deserve all the praise. Now, the question is, can they continue to maintain that type of growth? And so long as they continue to be profitable, I don't see a problem with that. Like I said, those Q3 numbers are probably going to be amazing because yes, Umbrella Academy is very successful, but what we saw with this new season of Stranger Things wasn't only that a lot of people were watching it. This new season of Stranger Things became a viral sensation on the internet, which suggests that not only the people already subscribed to Netflix were watching it, it probably brought on board tons of new viewers that hadn't watched it before. If you look at Netflix's own ratings over the last three or four weeks, you realize that it's not only season four of Stranger Things that was being watched heavily. Seasons one, two, and three were being watched as well. And we can wager that a good number of those people were watching those shows, those seasons, for the first time. I am excited to see what Q3 is going to look like for Netflix because I expect that those numbers are going to be massive. I mean, I don't want to get too carried away. And my thought process here is simple. Is we're saying that it vastly exceeded what its subscriber expectations were, but it's still lost the most subscribers ever in a quarter. So, you know, it's it all depends on how you write the headline. And during part of that quarter, it did cover some parts of Stranger Things, not the the recent episodes, but the first batch from this season. So we should have already seen at least some of the growth you're talking about during that quarter. Instead, we had the losses. So we're kind of still in a wait and see mode with Netflix because it just looks like, and sometimes this happens in business, right now, I would argue Netflix might have peaked and it never may reach those heights again. But if it does sign this Microsoft deal we're talking about, if, if it does lead to video gaming and other, other avenues, that could be a very, very cold take quickly. But if this is their business model is going to continue streaming, competition has gotten so much fiercer that their market share will continue to, you know, just get a little shaved off every quarter. I do wonder, though, if they were headed to that two million number and Stranger Things actually helped that a, a lot by people you know, re-subscribing because they knew the, the new season was coming and they either wanted to reacquaint themselves or or what. I wonder if that did have, have an effect if it did include the, the first half of this, this season. I'm absolutely confident there was a Stranger Things halo effect for that reason mm-hmm. and probably a lesser Kate Bush phenomenon here. <laughs> 
and if, as far as the revenue goes, you know, where you are inching closer to them putting in that shared account thing where they're testing it in other markets, probably maybe not this year in, in the US, but that's something that is probably the nuclear option for, for them because that, that would cost certainly cost people to say, that's it, I'm out. But I mean, I think it would end up giving them more revenue potentially in, in the long run. Yeah, it's great for them to crow as to like how many millions of minutes or as they count on their charts, how many millions of hours. Millions of hours, yeah. Yes, are viewed of their shows. But a lot of that has has to do to the fact that people are sharing their Netflix accounts. And millions of hours viewed does not necessarily equal paying subscribers. It is more important to Netflix to actually have paying subscribers than it is to have someone watching a lot of stuff. This is a lot like the gym membership model. A gym membership makes the most money when you sign up for a membership and then they'll go to the gym. Netflix wants you to subscribe to them. Now, whether or not you actually watch their shows, that's another matter altogether. They want to have popular shows so that people will subscribe to them. But then once you're subscribed, if you're actually watching or not, is kind of moot. So yeah, if they do enforce that shared account cap at some point, that could certainly be either problematic in the sense that this may reflect as fewer people watching content, but it may also be beneficial to them as it may end up convincing some people to pay for a Netflix subscription where previously they were using somebody else's login credentials. Yeah, I'll go ahead and confess here that we do have at least one other party who doesn't live in this household using our account. And Raul, I think you'll understand the why of it. I'm going to ask you a question. When your daughters move out, wouldn't you expect as a parent to have a right to have a family account that they can use as well? Yeah, that's that's something that I have considered going forward. But at the same time, I do have and do pay for family accounts. So Netflix does have a family account plan. And that means ultimately that the people don't necessarily have to be under the same roof. I think what they do want to do is cap the people who are using their, you're only supposed to log in once at a time accounts or shift those people over to their higher tier, higher cost family account plans. Yeah. And as a clarification, we actually do have the family plan and the family plan limits you, I want to say, to either three or four simultaneous usages. And, you know, we're never, it's pretty rare when we're over two. So, I mean, you know, we're not taking advantage in that regard, but the program they're testing, they have announced probably will come to North America at some point in 2023. And there are flaws with it. I mean, there are dramatic flaws with it where people are saying that they can be upstairs in their own house and they'll be getting notifications saying, that the product is actually only authorized for a household they're not in. So, you know, this is going to continue to be a really weird story for the next year or so. And I don't know how effectively it's going to work, but it sounds good when they say it during a fiscal earnings report. And that's what matters right now. Finally, and I just I just want to get this out there because nobody in business focuses on this enough and it drives me crazy. Netflix is making more money right now than anyone realizes. And so it's doing very very well. People kind of trade based on what they expect to happen next. And that's that's the conversation we've been having. But in terms of money, this earnings report was as good as it could possibly get for Netflix, especially after what happened last time. All right, Tim, do you want to talk about box office this week? Nope. <laughs> oh, uh, well, yeah. Okay, sure. I guess because yeah, the, the big movie is Nope. 
from Jordan Peele. We have a Thursday number of 6.4 million, uh, which is very good and points to maybe 50 million for the weekend. Solid. Yeah. Not much else to really talk about. Thor did have take the weekend as uh, expected, its second weekend, but down 68% to 46.6 million. It's got 233 million. Yeah, I think we mentioned this last week, but Minions is going to beat it. That's uh, problematic, but I guess we, we just have to, we're just kind of in a wait and see for what's going on with uh, with Marvel and, and Disney right now. It's not that these movies are doing poorly. They're just not living up to the expectations we had, we had all set. Yeah, I consider it like Pixar scenario where every Pixar film doesn't get judged on its own merits. It gets compared to Monsters Incorporated and Toy Story 2 and Up and Wally and all of these classic films. So it's not enough for Turning Red to be great. It has to be great on a level of Up or Wally. And that is a tough bar to clear. With the MCU, we've had so many different superhero titles lately, and not just from DC, because if it were just DC versus Marvel, everybody would be like, oh, thank God for Marvel. But we've got The Boys, and we've got Umbrella Academy. We've got all of these unique, invincible-type shows that are raising the bar and challenging the idea of how to create these stories. So there's so much competition, and there is saturation. And because of that, Thor Love and Thunder is being judged really, really harshly. And Kim, I know that you're inclined to like the franchise anyway, but you thought it was wonderful, didn't you? Yes, I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. It's my kind of movie. Ragnarok was better. Ragnarok is probably my favorite Marvel film, but Thor, just a lot of fun. Which is kind of why I was surprised because yeah Ragnarok was well received after the Dark World got kind of you know one of the most middling receptions of a Marvel movie they they leaned into the comedy really for Ragnarok and it paid off and I think they did kind of the same thing here and people aren't buying it at the same the same rate there was a statistic I came across when I was researching this and that was the original Thor had a B plus cinema score after that for a 10-year period until Eternals. Every other MCU movie, and I include Thor The Dark World in that, earned a cinema score of A-A minus or A+. Since then, Eternals and now Thor Love and Thunder have not gotten that. They've been B-plus titles. And so we are seeing kind of that momentum broken, and it, it is a little bit worrisome. Yeah, and, and we're talking about cinema scores. If it's not an A, uh, it's basically an F. It's just very weird how it's how these movies get 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 graded by uh, by the people they they ask. It's definitely the curve we all wish we'd been graded on in school. I wouldn't say yes. that like B or a B plus is an F. I would just say it's a C. It's and, a C. You know, yeah, it's a C. There have there have been there have been Fs. There have been Cs. Yeah, there have. But but yeah, it's it's people usually lean towards the top. You know, the extremes when they when they're pulled like that and just, right. just to come in to not come in with with an A rings an alarm bell. Just for any movie, not just talking about Marvel. Exactly. All right. So box office is, like I said, I think I hinted at last week. We are really out of top of the marquee material for a little while. You know, Nope's going to do fine, but there is no Marvel movie. There is no Top Gun. There is no you know, big tentpole headed our way for a while. So it will be interesting to see how the box office reacts when there suddenly isn't a marquee release every single week now. For the first time since theaters reopened, every movie in the top 10 last weekend made at least a million dollars. 10th was Lightyear at 1.4 million. I don't think that will be the case for a while going, going forward. So ratings? Yeah, Tim, thanks for talking about the box office, such as it is. But yeah, let's talk about the ratings. Okay, so we 
thankfully have the Nielsen streaming ratings from Monday, June 20th to Sunday, June 26, 2022, updated just in time for our recording. Thank you, Mr. Nielsen. And as I suggested what happened last week, uh, we do have a new show at the top that is not Stranger Things, just for one week. And of course, that is The Umbrella Academy, 30 episodes, 2.4 billion minutes as the 10 episodes of season three arrived on the 22nd. So middle of the week. So this is not a three-day number. This is most of the week. Uh, We do know that when season two arrived, which was July, 2020, I think we had, yeah, we had just about started the podcast at this point, but we didn't really incorporate ratings for a while. We knew that season when season two arrived, that was huge. This is seems less so. I think it will get a maybe a bump next week with the full week, but mm, I think that may have just been the pandemic effect. It's an interesting conversation to have. As we're about to see, there was a weird competition from the same streaming service. And because of that, and the fact that we're post-holiday at this point, and people aren't staying inside as much, there's other factors at play here. For instance, we're not even covering this, but cable television and regular television ratings this summer have reached historic lows three times, I want to say, already. So there's a lot at play here, but... With streaming services, theoretically, you take the entertainment where you go. So I'm kind of waiting and seeing what happens next. Your instinct, Tim, is that it does what next week? Well, it is going to run into, I mean, we'll have most of the week, but it is going to run into the second part of Stranger Things season. Uh, but it's going to be, well, the, the biggest second place number that we've ever seen. Probably, you know, I'll go with $3 billion. I yeah, think I can- it's the benefit of the full week. Yeah, I I can certainly see that happening. It's a fun summer series. It's riding those Stranger Things coattails. I think once uh, people are done watching Stranger Things and they're on Netflix, they're looking for something else fun and action-oriented to watch. I can see a lot of that spillover going right into Umbrella Academy. And the one thing we do want to add, as Tim said, we weren't actually covering the ratings at that time, but we have found out while doing our due diligence for other stuff that Umbrella Academy Season 2 made at least 4 billion minutes once or possibly twice. So 2.9, while phenomenal, isn't as good as last time. And that's why we're not just gushing in our praise at the moment. Yeah, it's by no means bad, but we had some pretty high expectations. But again, there's a lot of factors at, uh, at play here. It was was two years ago. It was I mean, t- t- towards the end. It was it was mid July, but you know, the, we joked that, oh, we were all trapped in our homes with nothing to do with watch Netflix. That's why everyone watched Tiger King. Uh, but then no one watched Watch Tiger King season two. <laughs> so, yeah, it's going to be a very interesting competition next week. I mean, Stranger Things is obviously going to win, but I think yeah, it's going to be the a very very impressive second place number. Just we we may have had too high expectations for what this was going to come in as. Speaking of Stranger Things, it does take second place for a week, two point three billion minutes. So still excellent. And yep, at next next week, those final two episodes, those final two really long episodes, uh, will arrive and definitely shoot it back up to the top of the list. Uh, meanwhile, in third, here is Obi Wan Kenobi. Now it's season complete, six episodes, eight hundred sixty million minutes. Very good. Yeah, that's that's quite solid for a Disney Plus show. Yep, uh, arrived on the 22nd, so middle of the week, as Disney tends to do. Uh, But I think the exact same pattern we've seen with every other Disney Plus show, uh, this will be its peak, and it will take a big drop from here, and maybe only hang around for another couple weeks or so before falling off. And I still think we're going to see Ms. Marvel at least one more time before, as that season begins to add episodes. 
The rest of originals this week is uh, mostly a bunch of shows we've seen before. The Boys in Fourth from Amazon, 712 million minutes for its 22 episodes. Uh, that season, third season is also complete as well, but still, still excellent. Uh, definitely among the most popular Amazon shows, but not the only time they'll show up on the list this week. Peaky Blinders in Fifth, 569 million minutes, 436 episodes. God's Favorite Idiot. The uh, Melissa McCarthy show, 402 million minutes. Ozark, still here, 386 million minutes. The Lincoln Lawyer, 383 million minutes. Uh, meanwhile, new in ninth, The Summer I Turned Pretty, 376 million minutes for its seven episode season which arrived on the 17th. Already been renewed for a second season. A little bit of counter-programming there. A lot of this other content, uh, Umbrella Academy, Stranger Things, The Boys, Peaky Blinders, very uh, young adult male-oriented content. So you had to expect that there would be some counter-programming on this chart as well. Amazon looks at what Netflix is doing and they're like, hey, The Kissing Booth is doing great. We'd rather have a series rather than a movie, though. And that's what they've done here. And it has worked quite well for them. Yep. Uh, and I mentioned this as it arrived on the 17th. So this meant this was actually the first full week of its availability. Uh, but again, Amazon was happy enough to, to renew it for another season. Right. And I mean, just analytically, we don't see it often where Amazon has a billion minutes watched in this category. So this is a huge week for them. And Originals wraps up with a show we saw also saw last week, Web of Make-Believe, Death Lies, and the Internet, 375 million minutes for the six-episode docuseries. Okay. So in movies, and here we go. We have Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness on, yes, on Disney+, Plus, 1.4 billion minutes. It's hard to judge the these movies now if, because they they are making you know excellent box office and then there but there's definitely a contingent of people who are perfectly happy with waiting for it to show up on Disney Plus because they know it really won't be that long. It's really what it's less than two months from its theatrical release. Right. This is actually the model Disney wants, and it's the one that have exhibitors you know tearing down all of the uh, <laughs> the in theater advertising for Disney. <laughs> All the stand-ups? No. I, I wanted the cardboard cut out of Benedict Cumberbatch. Aw. <laughs> because, you know, analytically, it has done well enough in theaters. It's obviously not what Marvel, you know, would have expected three or four years ago before the pandemic, but it's done well enough. And now it is, you know, 1.4 billion minutes is really good for the first week of this. I mean, <laughs> I think we both know Eternals never reached that level. So, you know, they are advertising it in a way that makes Disney Plus a must-own service. And that's really the point here. Doctor Strange arrived the, the 22nd of June. So it, it did have most of the week. That's a, uh, That was Wednesday. But still, yeah, that's a solid number for Disney. If you get to make $400 million in, in the theater domestically and then have a bunch of people excited to, to watch it on Disney Plus and pay that subscription fee perpetually, yeah, that's that that's win-win. The integration is their biggest positive. Meanwhile, here's a movie returning to the list that we'd, we'd seen before, even though we had questions. I believe last time it was credited to Amazon because we believe Sing 2 was only available as premium video on demand, meaning you had to actually pay extra to be able to watch it. That is correct. Yes. I am convinced that, yes, people did that. Uh, and we, we were wondering if they had, if Nielsen had screwed up and needed to list another movie and instead mentioned or listed Sing 2. But yeah, now it's on Netflix and way more people watched it because they didn't have to pay extra 1.2 billion minutes. Absolutely not surprised at all, actually, because Sing was a very popular movie several years ago. Sing 2, less so, but that was because the box office perspective has changed. Uh, but yeah, still very, very good. Quick, name a single character from the Sing franchise. The Animal that sings. I would have given you full credit for the pig that sings. Pig, but yeah, that's okay. Right. okay. <laughs> Don't ask me to name any of the songs they sing either. <laughs> 
but yeah, something, you know, new and animated. So sure. Absolutely. Both of these titles getting over a billion minutes uh, viewed on the movie charts. Uh, if nothing else, this is an indication that uh, summer viewing on streaming is very strong. I don't think that we see this kinds of numbers other than, say, maybe during the Christmas holiday. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I guess when people are at home during vacation, they spend a lot of time watching streaming. It's too hot outside. Stay inside. Watch movies on Netflix and Disney+. Plus. <laughs> You know what? You're right. And I want to do a mea culpa here because I was just talking about how Umbrella Academy might be down because people are viewing less, but I'm looking at that the wrong way. Raul is looking at it the right way because we've still got, you know, two titles that were 2.5 billion minutes in original. And now we have two movies that combine for almost 2.7 billion minutes in movies. So obviously there is a lot going on here. And then there's the third film, which is probably the most intriguing conversation here. And that would be The Man from Toronto. 948 million minutes. Woody Harrelson is a star, y'all. Well, so is Kevin Hart, which is probably why it was watched for 948 million minutes. But yeah. (laughs) They basically just took out The Rock, put in Woody Harrelson and Kaylee Cuoco and said, does anyone notice the difference? It does set itself up as a franchise, so this could actually become quite a little bit of a powerhouse for Netflix. I do believe it was just another one of the many titles Sony intended to release in theaters, and then they looked at the uh, they looked at the market and they said, "Hey, Netflix, would you like to buy this movie?" This is very impressive, and so this is good news for both Netflix and for Sony, and in fact, good news for Kevin Hart and Woody Harrelson as well. And it turns out to have the same director as the Hitman's Bodyguards movies. According to Wikipedia, they apparently may take place in the same universe. So expect a crossover. You throw in Ryan Ryan Reynolds and there you go. Kevin Hart, Ryan Reynolds and streaming, they win. End streaming, there's, there was no more that uh, they can do. That is that is the end game. Hey, if they make a sequel, maybe Kaylee Cuoco will get more than two lines. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't think that's the way it was supposed to play out. If you all have never heard the story, Jason Statham was cast in this film. He was ready to film the project. And then like a month before it actually started, he just said, I'm out of here. And basically Woody Harrelson was who they could get as a Jason Statham type on short notice. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I would never have expected like Woody Harrelson to be great value Jason Statham, but I guess it, I guess it works. I mean, the movie's apparently not very good, but a lot, that's a lot of people watched it. This is where I really miss Reagan's ability to do a horrible, horrible Jason Statham accent. <laughs> okay, and fourth from Netflix, Spiderhead. We saw that last week, 491 million minutes. Adam Sandler's Hustle, down to fifth, 376 million minutes. Another hit for Netflix. Uh, in sixth is It. Netflix likes to provide years on random titles, but not all of them. I assume this was the one from a, a few years ago. Why it came back this week. Can't figure this one out, but sure. I guess this does sort of tie into to what's in seventh, which is The Mist from 2007, 285 million minutes. What? Some, someone please this explain is, this to me. Uh, some people went on a, a, a Stephen King kick, I guess. Maybe. I will say this. Something I do remember is that The Mist was in something that they were promoting on Netflix when I was looking at what was new. So I don't know. The only other thing I could think of was that his son, Joe Hill, had the black phone coming to theaters. Maybe that sent people off on a weird kick. I don't know. Yeah, that would be very weird if they looked for a Joe Hill had a movie out and people watched Stephen King movies. But okay, sure. 
Yeah, and it's since we're in the middle of the month, it's not like these movies just showed up because that would make that at least make sense. But anyway, there there you have it. Eighth, uh, Encanto in great danger of actually falling off the movie chart, which I'm I am stunned. Two hundred seventy eight million minutes. I guess we we found where it's you know the level it's going to be perpetually. So maybe on I guess on a really really good week for movies, uh, it, it might actually not be on the chart one week. But I am greatly concerned that you know I might we might have an Encanto list uh, movies list one day. Uh, in ninth, Love and Gelato sounds messy. One hundred eighty two million minutes. I actually recommended this one to my mother because it kind of sounds like Under the Tuscan Sun for the under 30 crowd. And she loves Under the Tuscan Sun. (laughs) And wrapping up movies, something we saw last week, Chicken Hair and the Hamster of Darkness, also 182 million minutes in 10. Acquired is 10 shows we have seen before. Uh, This week, led by Criminal Minds, as everyone's getting their last bit of binge watching in before it disappears from Netflix on July 1st, 732 million minutes viewed for 321 episodes. Uh, Second, NCIS, another show which days are apparently numbered, uh, 726 million minutes. I mean, that's still a couple of years down the line, but I am wondering, will NCIS see like a 50% boost when there's no competition from Criminal Minds? Uh, we have the two HBO Max shows still here, Friends and Big Bang Theory in 6th and 7th. Bluey is back because school's out, I guess, 345 million minutes in 10th, so, which is a very you know strong acquired chart. Uh, but that's about it. I guess next week we're just looking forward to see where Stranger Things lands with the addition of the two essentially movie-length episodes. Number eight was Heartland for the record. So if you're watching like, you know, a, a murder show and then the sweet uplifting ranch show, that would make me wonder about you as a person. <laughs> Oh, and I think we may get the return of, hopefully, the return of Only Murders in the Building next week, too. Yay! Yay! Okay, great. But, yep, that's all for the ratings for this week. All right. Thanks, Tim. In our green lights and cancellations this week, we saw the trailer to Rob Zombie's upcoming The Monsters remake, and it was confirmed that it would be coming to Netflix. I don't know that we really could expect that it would be going anywhere else. Who's going to play this? NBC? Peacock? What? (laughs) Um, But that trailer was difficult to watch and not in the way that a Rob Zombie trailer usually is difficult to watch. It was it was campy in a very bad way, clearly riffing off of the original Monsters series from the early 60s. But it, it, it just wasn't very good. The The production quality really stank of late 80s, early 90s made for cable material. It, it just wasn't anything that I can imagine anyone would want to see. I think fans of the monsters would be disappointed. Fans of Rob Zombie would certainly be disappointed as, of course, he usually makes much darker, grimmer horror stuff. And this, this is clearly slated to be some kind of PG or even G-rated family-friendly material. I don't know what this is. Uh, I don't know who wants this. It just makes me long for that Mockingbird Lane reboot that failed. Oh, God. uh, From Brian Fuller. That was that was a fantastic premise. And I just uh, it makes me want to watch that pilot again, because honestly, this this just looks like garbage. Yeah, the trailer was off putting, but I did I I did find an interesting point from Scott Mendelson, who's a box office writer. And he says, I don't really have strong feelings about the Munsters, but my favorite Zack Snyder film is Legend of the Guardians. And my favorite Eli Roth film is The House with a Clock in Its Walls. So (laughs) the idea that, you know, hey, here's Rob Zombie making, you know, a family friendly movie might work. We'll see. 
The uh, interesting thing to me when I watch the tone of it is, look, we've seen this before where there's been an attempt to make a like sarcastic version of a, a TV show as a movie. Tim Burton tried it with Dark Shadows to mixed results. It wasn't a disaster. It wasn't great by any stretch. There was a disaster and it had an incredible cast frontlined by Nicole Kidman, Matthew Broderick, Bette Midler, and Christopher Walken. That was The Stepford Wives. And, you know, <laughs> for whatever reason, that was a debacle. I mean, an absolute debacle. And then we also had chips and it didn't work at all. So for whatever reason, this keeps happening where somebody says, what if we do this and we try and take a sarcastic modern take on it? <sighs> I don't know. Um, his movies are objectively terrible and intentionally so. And so I, I agree with my friend Scott Mendelson that maybe this is going to be a better approach, but Raul's right. It's not a good trailer. At Apple TV Plus, Peter Capaldi will star in the eight-part London thriller Criminal Record. There was a... Uh overt lack of profanity in uh, Peter Capaldi's Doctor Who. So I, I <laughs> certainly hope that there's a return to uh, his uh, traditional ways in uh, this series. What Raul is saying is watch in the thick of it. Mm -hmm. And Kurt Russell and his son Wyatt have been cast in Legendary Television's MonsterVerse series. Oh, Kurt's doing a series with his uh, little boy Wyatt. <laughs> what else has that boy been up to lately? It's a reunion of cast members from the MCU. <laughs> I kid, of course. Uh, Wyatt Russell played uh, the new Captain America in uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And Kurt Russell was Ego, the living planet, who's dead now. <laughs> also, because I have to mention this, anytime his name is brought up, Walt Disney's final words were Kurt Russell, and even Kurt Russell doesn't know why. <laughs> yep. <laughs> It was announced at San Diego Comic-Con this week that Amazon Prime Video has renewed The Wheel of Time for a third season. Are they just skipping season two? <laughs> Would anybody even notice? Well, we know. <laughs> <laughs> On Disney+, Plus, the National Treasure spinoff series Edge of History has cast Harvey Keitel returning as FBI agent Peter Sadusky. Okay, we wrap up with what's been keeping us busy this past week, and I have been playing Slay the Spire on the new Steam Deck, which is, which is pretty dang nifty. So I Merry uh, Christmas, my love. Yes, thank you, and I like it very much. It's not really too big for my hands, which I was a little worried about. I have small hands, but it's good and it's fun. And I actually also just added Persona Four to the library, which I'm a big Persona fan. So I'm excited to play that. Had you played Slay the Spire before or no? No, this was new to me. Well, I definitely mentioned it a long time ago. It's the type of game that the rare game that basically launched an entire genre, like this whole card battle type, yeah, type thing, yeah. build, build, your, build your deck. So there are a zillion knockoffs. Some are better, some some are worse, some have interesting twists, but I do always find myself drawn to uh, a Slay the Spire run. And next thing I know, like an hour has gone by. Wasted, and it was like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like what just happened? Yeah. So, yep. but yep, yeah, definitely, definitely worth your, worth your time. Not to make this awkward, but I was saying Merry Christmas, my love to Tim, not you. Oh. Oh, never mind. <laughs> yes, I too have a Steam Deck. Yes. Ho, ho, ho. Ho, ho, ho. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Raul, what's been keeping you busy? 
Okay, well, my pick this week is the spy thriller The Old Man on Hulu, starring Jeff Bridges and John Lithgow. This is a slow, methodical drama with emphasis on the word slow. The seventh and final episode premieres this week, and I find myself anxiously awaiting its arrival on streaming. Bridges plays a former CIA agent whose past has come back to haunt him, and Lithgow is the FBI assistant director tasked with bringing in Bridges, but whose past connects to the character muddies his responsibilities. There's long, drawn-out, pensive scenes in every episode that risk grinding the narrative to a halt, but with Bridges and Lithgow in the leads, it's never really boring. Amy Brennerman plays a woman unwittingly pulled into the drama while Arrested Development's Aaliyah Shockett has some secrets of her own. Bridges delivers as the former agent who can't escape his past, always seemingly in control, even when he's forced into scenes of incredible violence. This is closer to John Le Carre than Mission Impossible, but still a very satisfying watch. Very cool. Tim, what have you been up to? By the time you hear this, I will have seen the latest episode of season 13 of Mystery Science Theater 3000. Gamera versus Jiger. Yes, Gamera. Giant. Giant flying turtle and friend to all children in another ridiculous Japanese monster movie. Uh, This one was like, I don't know, the sixth or seventh one they made. Uh, It's in the same franchise as the original ones that were riffed in the original iteration of the show. They skipped this one for whatever reason. And supposedly the conditions to allow it to them to use it was they could not edit it. So it may actually be (laughs) like longer episode than normal or, or they even without restrictions of like commercials and whatnot, they do still edit down the the movies in the theater, maybe to remove like extra dull parts or parts that just weren't weren't working, but apparently they were not allowed to do that here. So I am looking forward to uh, seeing what this one will be riffed by Dona Ray and what his his crew does with that. And I I did mention the last time I talked about the show that the next episode had been, would be the return of Joel for a movie called Demon Squad. And that was definitely a lot of fun. It was goofy how they managed, you know, brought him back into the, into the show. They are working on this overarching narrative in the segments through the season. Uh, and the movie was actually, it had a lot of heart. The filmmakers basically had a $6 budget and they really did try to make something, you know, decent. And they were actually the director and um, co-writer and lead, lead actress were in a live stream after the premiere of the episode. And they were a lot of fun. They, they, they know the movie's not very good, uh, but they, yeah, they really had, um, you know, were, 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 were gracious and very, very funny about it. Cause they really did try. So yes, if you ca- have access to, to the Gizmoplex, it, it is worth it to check out these episodes if you really like the original show, you know, rather than say, if and, but we're turned off by the Netflix seasons. These are, I think, much more, it's definitely different than than what, you know, the almost DIY version of the original show. But yeah, it's it's worth checking out if you if you like that. But even if you didn't like the Netflix, Netflix episodes. Just do an MST3K podcast already. <laughs> okay. Nice. Well, Gamera was like the first monster movie that I ever fell in love with. <laughs> and that was, you know, well before the MST3K days. But okay. They, yeah. And these are always ridiculous. And they they are. Having watched them all because they, they do show up on that Twitch stream, it's funny how they just progressively get more and more like ridiculous. Oh, the first okay. one's actually, the first one's actually not bad. And then they just go completely off the rail. So this, this is one of the later ones. So I'm sure it's, it's wacky. I'm sure it's way, yeah, way, way off the rails. And, mm-hmm. and, and yes, I, I often sing the Gamera song. So that's that's one of my favorites. <laughs> <laughs> David, how about you? All right. I'm legitimately going to do my weirdest 
thing ever, and that's saying a lot for me. Sometimes Kim will fall asleep, and I won't feel like writing, so I'll just start flipping through YouTube and seeing what the suggestions are. And last night, I had Critical Role on, and Critical Role had a, a guest appearance by Erica Ishii. I actually used to watch Erica Ishii when she was on Geek and Sundry before Geek and Sundry fell apart. So I was like, oh, that's interesting. I wonder what she's been up to. And so I did a YouTube search for Erica Ishii and I uncovered something that for Whose Line Is It Anyway fans is absolute magic. It's called No Laugh Newsroom, which is a recurring segment on College Humor. And I am not someone who's ever watched College Humor much, but this is amazing. It is improv comedy taking to its highest level because they have four people pretend to be, you know, anchorman type journalists who are reading their news prompter and they will read whatever it says, no matter what, which made me think of my wife, Kim. And so the news prompter's entire purpose is for the teleprompter to say ridiculous things that make the people laugh, and they keep a laugh counter to see how many times each person busts up. I've watched like eight of these. I think three of them have had Erica Ishii on them. She has finished last out of four or five people every time because she will just crack up and get in a giggle loop and she can't stop. It is amazing television and they run from like four to 12 minutes. So it is very, very quick entertainment. And if you want to see like, you know, fledgling comedians earning their bones at improv, it is spectacular. It really is. No laugh newsroom, college humor. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Streaming Into the Void. Please consider subscribing via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And we welcome your feedback. Remember that we're on social media at Streaming Void and online at streamingintothevoid.com. If you like what you're hearing, please consider rating us and giving us a review in your favorite podcast player. Be sure to watch for us again next week.